Acts 12, we'll end up looking at verses 6, six through 19. Uh, I am going to spread it out a little bit because it is so many verses. So make sure that you keep that Bible open this morning, all right? Uh, what we're going to see today is really so much of what we've seen in Acts already, right? It's a story of God's faithfulness. That even though it looked like everything was getting ready to fall apart, people were dying, people were getting arrested, even though it looked so bleak for the church at that time, God heard the prayers of his church and stepped in for his people. And when we read this morning, we'll get what I think is kind of a, a funny yet frustrating story of the church's prayer coming to reality. Uh, so setting the stage here, as we saw last week, King Herod had executed the Apostle James and imprisoned Peter with the intention of doing the same to him. And what Pastor Tim did for us was, last week was really put that into a context that we can all kind of see around us today, and I think he did a pretty good job at that, amen? So where we left off in Acts 12, Peter was arrested and being kept in prison until after the Passover, uh, then too he would be executed. This period of time is very important uh, because as we see back in verse 3, the Jews were very pleased when James was martyred for the faith. So in order to continue uh, pleasing his Jewish constituents, Herod had to wait until seven days after the Passover meal to execute Peter, right? Because the seven days after the meal were holy and set apart and could not be polluted by an execution, so with all this going on, all of this mess, all of this fear of what would happen next to Peter, the church does in chapter 5 earnestly prayer for him. Earnest prayer was made to him. Man, I'm struggling this morning. I'm sorry. Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Apologize. <laughs> so with that in mind, let's go ahead and let's dig into our first portion of scripture here. Uh, it's going to be Acts 12 verses 6 through 11. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a bright light shone in the, sh in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals, and he did so. And he said to him, wrap your, cloak around your, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was happening. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought that he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading out of the city. It opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along the street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. Amen. So we find Peter in a really bad spot here, right? He's chained between two guards behind the doors of a garden prison the night before his scheduled execution. It seemed like nothing could get him out of the position it in. It feels like it was all over for him in this, moment, in this moment, and I'm sure that's how many in the church felt. But here in our scripture, we have 
an angelic visitation, right? Which is something that I know you guys covered pretty solidly during Christmas time with the angelic visitations before the birth of Christ. And in this visitation that we get here, an angel of the Lord came down to Peter to help him with this escape. This is very similar to what we have happen in Acts chapter 5 as well. We just get a little bit more detail here. And what's interesting here that I think is that the, is that the angel actually had to strike Peter to wake him up, right? The, the light that showed around the cell wouldn't do it. It kind of gives this idea that, that Peter had been at completely peace, at, at, at complete peace with what was going to happen to him. He was just snoozing away between the two guards, and the angel had to force him to wake up and get out of there. And you'd have to think, yeah, Peter was probably at some type of peace with what was going on, right? He knew what was coming next, right? He had already seen or at least heard about the death of James, and Peter knew what was going to happen to him. An untimely death, sure, but I want you to also think about this. He was going to be with Jesus again. If anything, you could think that that could actually bring some excitement or, dare I even say, joy to Peter in that moment, right? That's, that's his best friend that we're talking about. But, he, but Jesus is so much more to that, than that. Jesus is his Savior, his Lord, his, his King, his God, his everything was going to be waiting on that other side for him. So it's not hard to think that he may have just have been at such peace with that. But what about us? Right? You know, we, we hear these stories of these great people of faith that get diagnosed with some type of terminal illness, and they're just at, at peace with it. They're fine with whatever happens next. Or these stories of places in the Middle East or even in China where Christians are being executed, some of them even by crucifixion themselves. And you get these news agencies or you'll get uh, some ministry that will go out and they'll find the family and they'll interview the family and they'll ask them about it and the family's at complete peace. I mean, yes, they're, they're of course sad for the loss of their loved one, but they're at peace knowing that that person is going to be with Jesus sooner than expected. They have peace knowing that they're safe in the hands of Jesus. And it'll only be a short time before they're back home with him. That pain that they might feel at that moment, caused by this depraved and, and fallen world, it just means nothing compared to the eternity that we face without pain, without suffering, and most of all, with the joy that comes with being in the presence of God. Do we feel that way? And that's an honest question, because I, I think if we're being completely honest with ourselves, a lot of us are, are really fearful of death, right? Partly because we just have so much here, right? We, a, a lot of us have good lives. We have beautiful families. We've lived in the most prosperous country in the world, even though it really doesn't feel like that right now, but it's the truth. Some of us have everything that we could earthly want in this world plus some. And I think if we're being honest with ourselves, there's a lot of us that are scared to lose that. And that's human nature, isn't it? We want our stuff, and we always want our stuff. 
But my friends, if you are in Christ, then there's really nothing to fear in death. The things of this world are going to get old and they're going to fade away and they're going to rust and they're going to fall apart, but Jesus never will. So when you close your eyes that very last time here, when in that blink of an eye, when you open your eyes again, you will be in the presence of Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing. So as we look what's happening here, it's not hard to understand why Peter may be at this sense of peace where he actually had to be forced to wake up in this moment. A state of peace that, that he's sleeping soundly in this prison because he knows what's going to happen. But we know that in this text, God isn't done with Peter. So the angel wakes him up by hitting him in the side, tells him to get dressed, cover himself, and then they're on their way out the door. Right? And it says here in verse 9 that Peter didn't know what was happening, if it was real or a vision. Right? And this, is, again, isn't something that's hard for us to realize if we know anything about Peter. Because God has already communicated with Peter by vision. Right? If we remember back in chapter 10, we get what Pastor Tim calls the bacon verse. Uh, um, where Peter is shown a vision of all kinds of animals, reptiles, birds, and after Peter decides that he wants to argue with God like he so often does, right? God, God tells him through the vision, what God has made clean, do not call common. I hate to pause here, but can I get an amen to that? Because I, I got to tell you, I, I really love a good pork chop. <laughs> and I don't know what I would do without what I, without one every now and then, right? I don't get them very often because my wife doesn't like pork, but, and that's a shame. We all know it. We can pray for her on that, so that would change. But, but anyway, the, the angel leads Peter out of the prison, prison and into the city where he just leaves him there, right? He just disappears from him in that moment, and that's when he finally realizes that what was going on was indeed real, and he was indeed free. He says in verse 11, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. So what we really have here is a three-part three miracle in this visitation, right? The first part was to get Peter out of the change that would have also been attached to the two guards on either side of him. So we had to get him out of those chains without waking them up. The second, to get him through the guard post completely unnoticed. And third, to get him through the gate that surrounded the entire prison. Right? The angel pulled all of this off without disturbing a single guard here. And Peter is just kind of left there in a crossroads type decision. Right? The angel didn't tell him what to do next like they did in Acts chapter 5 when they were told to go and stand in the temple and speak to the people the words of this life. He could either continue on the mission that God had put him on, or he could just walk away to never be seen again. And you can kind of feel that tension there. He either makes, either decision that he makes, he has to make it quick, right? We don't know how long the guards are going to be out of it. Next thing you know, he could be surrounded again, so he's got to go. Let's continue in uh, verse 12, see what we have that happens next here. So 12 through 17. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also named Mark, where many were gathered together and praying. 
And when he knocked on the door, door of the gateway, a, sa- a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. Recognizing Peter's vo- voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened, they saw him and were, in, and were amazed. But mentioning to them that, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. So this is what I'm talking about at, with the funny yet frustrating story of the church's prayer coming, coming to reality, right? It almost feels like it's out of some type of like slapstick comedy movie, okay? So Peter makes the right call. He goes to John Mark's mother's house where all of these people are praying for him and for the future of the church. He knocks on the door and Rhoda gets so excited that she doesn't open the door and runs to go tell everybody that is standing there. And rather than, than going and opening the door, they sit there and debate on the topic, right? You read it and you get a little frustrated, don't you? Like people, like, just, just open the door, right? There's no need to debate what's going on on the other side of the door if we just open the door and see him standing there. And even if it is his angel, which doesn't actually really make any sense because you think the angel would just show up in the house and not at the door, don't you think it's important to still open the door for the angel? Right? So it's just, it's frustrating. But it's, it's funny when you really think about what's going on. And you still have a lot of this tension right? The guards could be out searching for Peter at this point, and we want to sit here and argue about if he's actually there or not. But Peter didn't just give up on them. Like, I'm sure a lot of us, including myself in this situation, I probably would have just walked away from the door, right? But he knew the significance of this moment. He knew the encouragement that it would give to the church, so he continued to knock. And while they were inside calling Rhoda crazy thinking that, for thinking that he was at the door, he kept knocking and he kept knocking. And when they finally opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. Here's the thing, church. Our, our God, the only true and living God, is a God who answers prayers. Right? Ephesians 3.20 tells us he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power of at work within us. But even though we have a perfect God and we have a perfect Savior in Jesus Christ who can all th- do all things perfectly in accordance with his will, we're still human. And we're not perfect. right? We're finite beings and we try and do all of these things outside of God's will and on our own will. And in this moment... I think we see through Peter, and by extension, I think we see our own inability to do anything on our own, right? The only thing that Peter's done by himself this entire night is sleep and walk, okay? And he had to be forced to wake up, and he had to be told to walk. He couldn't take those chains off by himself, right? He couldn't open the prison doors without the angel's help. 
And he had to wait for the servant girl at the, in the house that was so earnestly praying for him because they didn't believe that he was actually there. Church, we need to be a, a people of true faith. People who believe that God answers the prayers of those who will seek him. When you pray, I believe that you'll get an answer, right? And when the answer comes, don't be surprised about it. Don't be surprised. Be thankful to God. Be, fa- be thankful knowing that you couldn't have done any of that on your own. Be thankful that it's by his grace that you were able to even do anything at all, including come to him. And if it took a little bit longer than, than we may want in our minds, there's a good reason for that. Because God's timing is always better than our timing. Look back at verse 17 with me. Motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought, them out, brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers, then he departed for another place. As you would imagine, the, the people within the house were probably extremely excited once they finally realized that it actually was Peter, right? There's probably clapping, cheering, all of this, and Peter had to tell them to shut their mouths for a minute. And for good reason. Again, we don't know what's going on back at the prison yet, right? We don't know if these guards are up. We don't know if these guards are around the city looking for him. And if we're making all this noise, it's going to be a lot easier to find him. He tells them the story and tells them to relay the story to James and the brothers, meaning the other apostles, and then he leaves. Except for a a very brief mention In Acts 15, when he comes back to Jerusalem for a council meeting, this is really the last time that we get a lot of information about Peter, right? We know that he ends up going uh, to meet with Paul in Antioch. We read that in Galatians. but This is really the end of his story arc for the most part. Uh, And this James that Peter speaks of for a good reason isn't the James that we see in the beginning of the chapter. But this is James, who is the brother of Jesus, who will later become a very important figure in the church in Jerusalem. So let's look at our our last two verses here. Verses 18 and 19. When day came, there was no there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for them and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they, should, that they should be put to death. Then he went down to Judea and He went down to Judea and Caesarea and spent time there. Man. This is a stark contrast, I think, that Luke gives us here on purpose, right? The way that it's written. The grace of God versus the gracelessness of Herod. By Roman law, if a prisoner escaped, the guards that were uh, responsible over the prison were sentenced to the same punishment that that prisoner was supposed to get, which is why they were put to death. But on the other hand, God shows us grace and mercy and forgives those failures that we have, right? God looks at our iniquity and our inability because of our sin. And he offers us, offers us forgiveness for those things based on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He listens to our prayers. Even, even if we can't get out of our own way sometimes, 
during those prayers. He'll do what he needs to do in order to get those things done. Just like he did here for Peter and the church. Just like he does for all of us when we have our troubles in our lives. Most of all, just as he does in the actions of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Do, we, do, do you guys see that, that difference that we have here, right? That God in his great and unlimited sovereign power heard the prayers of his church, heard the prayers of his people, and those prayers became reality. That even when everything looked dark, God came through for his people. Just like he does every single time. Church, God is still doing that today, right? God, in, in a way, is in the business of U-turns, right? You know what I mean when I say that? Meaning God can take a person, God can take a church, God can take a situation, a city, or dare I say, even a nation. And he can turn that thing right around and have it go in the opposite direction. And that's, the, that's what we see here in our text. He takes the church, is on the verge of losing another one of its prominent leaders, and he turns it around in the opposite direction. And the church was encouraged, and the church was strengthened, and the church grew because of this. And as I close here this morning, I, I'm going to kind of speak on what Pastor Tim was speaking on last week. My friends, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you here. Right? I believe that, that some of the things going on around the world, around our country specifically, I, I think we are in a way in a Romans 1 type judgment. That God has given us over to our own co collective corruption and desire. And that there's only one way to solve that. Right? There's only one way that we can turn around from that do a complete 180 and just go the opposite direction, and that is that we must turn back to him. Collectively as a people, and, and my friends, a big part of that is by prayer, right? The type of prayer that we see here in Acts chapter 12. I challenge all of you really this morning to, to pray not only for our crazy world, not only for our community and for the people of our church, not only for our country in general, but also for the leaders of this country. And you would pray for those leaders. You would pray for the leaders of the towns, of the cities, of the states, of the entire country. That God would soften their hearts. That they would turn to him and, and turn this thing all the way around. They would fall back into his arms and not into the arms of the enemy. I would encourage you to, to come to the Wednesday night prayer groups. And be with us and stand with us in agreement as we pray over these things weekly. Prayer, my friends, is one of the most important things that we can do in the church. We see that here in our text, and we see that today. Father God, we, we thank you for another day. We thank you for the ability to come into your house and, and worship and glorify you in both spirit and truth. Lord, we pray that, pray that you would turn this crazy world and bring it back into right relationship with you. We know it's always been a bumpy road, Father, and we ask your forgiveness for that. We, like the Israelites, sometimes get a little too caught up in ourselves, and we forget about all the good things that you've done.
Father, I pray if there's anybody in this room that does not know you, anybody that came in this room this morning seeking you, that would like to know more about your saving grace, your saving love, your saving mercy, that you would soften their hearts this morning and bring them to you. Pray this in the name of your Son. Praise your faithfulness forever and ever.